Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anshayamit Synagogue and best-selling author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Kitavo, The Dangers of Procrastination. Are you a procrastinator? Do you put things off to the last minute? Or are you like on top of things, getting your homework in early, finishing everything up? And I imagine as a writer, deadlines matter, so... Yeah, they do. Uh, I'm not a procrastinator, really, when it comes to writing, when it comes to work, uh, maybe when it comes to, you know, laundry and uh, and, and chores around the house. Yes. Uh, but in general, I would say I'm 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 not too bad. It's not one of my my greatest sins. Let's put it that way. I am with you on that. I'm sort of an intermediate procrastinator. It just depends. There are those moments. I saw a cartoon recently that I really kind of struck me. It's a, a scene where there are two dinosaurs sitting on the rock, on a rock, and the water is, you know, kind of halfway up the rock. And in the foreground of the, um, of the cartoon is Noah's Ark with these uh, giraffes and lions and looking out and elephants looking out over the ark that's kind of floating away. And, the, and one dinosaur says to the other, oh, darn, was that today? <laughs> okay, first of all, did we have dinosaurs in the days of Noah's Ark? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that one slide. Uh, well, it, it does <laughs> explain why the, why, why the, the dinosaurs, why the dinosaurs didn't, didn't make it. All right, that's, is that in the Torah? Uh, uh, no. but let's, let, let's, let's move on. Um, yeah, it, obviously, um, that reminds me a little bit of global warming. Um, I just saw an interview with one of the scientists who was the first to warn us about global warming, and he said if, if, if people had actually listened in the late 80s, when we first started talking about this, we would have you know, so much less work to do. We would be so better off than we are today if we had started just in the 1980s to, to try to address this. Um, so, yeah, we, we pay a price for procrastination, just as, just as the dinosaurs did by not getting on Noah's Ark. Well, that's, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the, we pay a price, and sometimes it's not simply inconvenience. Every day, it seems like there's another natural crisis going on in, in the world in which we live. State of California, one week. Uh, forest fires, another week. Extreme heat, another week. And so there comes a point where you actually, literally, as, as the cartoon portrayed, you sort of just miss the boat. And right. the consequences are grave. And, you know, when we open our portion this week, Moses is talking to the people who are about to enter the land. And he talks about a ceremony that would take place, not just once, but yearly, where the children of Israel would stand between two mountains, and they would split the tribes up, Mount Eval and Har Grizin, Mount Grizin. And on one mountain, the people would shout, blessing. So if you do this, you will be blessed. And everyone has to say, amen. Sounds great. And if you do this, which is to go against the Torah, go against the Constitution, go against the people, then there'll be a curse. And the people have to say amen to that. And that is kind of just a remarkable statement that there are consequences for your actions and sort of time waits for no one. It's ticking. And if you wait too long, just like the um, scientists that you quoted earlier, there are real consequences for procrastination. I think it's just a powerful idea 
that's um, very pertinent in our age. Oh, yeah. And of course, uh, my obsession of late, um, of many, a long time now, is Dr. King talked about this a lot because he was always being told, including by a lot of religious leaders, you know, slow down, just be patient. You know, we're working on it. Give us a little more time. Stop, you know, pushing so hard. It probably annoyed him more than some of the, you know, racist attacks that came from, you know, Southern police chiefs because he expected religious leaders to know better, to know that moral choices uh, can't be put off. It's always the right time to do the right thing, as he said uh, more eloquently than I can. So I think that um, the lessons are, are pretty clear, uh, but we, we find excuses to procrastinate, to say, you know, we'll get to that eventually. A little progress is good enough. Don't ask for everything all at once. Well, one of the things that you point out in your book um, and one of the things that drew Heschel and King together was the prophetic tradition. They both were well-grounded in that tradition, but they also took that tradition seriously. And the role of the prophet in ancient Israel was not simply to castigate the people, but to castigate the establishment. And the establishment in their age were kings and queens. And you see people like Elijah going after King Ahab and Queen Isabel. But you also see Isaiah and Jeremiah going against the religious leadership of its time, which was the establishment, who were basically saying, just slow down, as you said a minute ago, just, you know, Change will come, but let's just maintain the status. We don't want to rock the boat. And the reality is, is that nobody wants their lives upended. And the more you have, the less you want that. And the harder you're going to fight against it. And that's, this is an ancient condition. Kind of just imagine this. Imagine if the people of the United States had representatives from every state. And every year they had to stand between two mountains in this country and repeat blessings and curses to one another. And everyone had to say, Amen. Let's just imagine that. It's just saying that you can't hold this stuff off forever. You're going to have to deal with it. One of these days, you're just going to have to face the reality. And you don't want to be like those dinosaurs in that cartoon on the wrong end of history. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, the more you have, the more you are inclined to hold on to it and not share, because I think that's a really important thing to challenge ourselves on that the, you know, the more comfortable we get, the harder it is to, to think about others or to think about sharing the privileges that we have uh, received. But I also really hear what you're saying, especially as we approach the high holidays, because it seems like maybe once a year isn't enough, but it's at least important to have this annual reckoning where we where we really take account of our failures, of our shortcomings um, and our blessings, but where we, you know, we sort of, you know, run through the checklist and think about what we've got and what we're doing, what we were doing and what we need to do better. First of all, I want to applaud your segue. This was very, very rabbinic of you. <laughs> yeah, I, like, usually, I, like, I, I leave those to you. I was like, whoa, you took my breath. My, my heart went pitter patter and a little tear. <laughs> the kid, a little the tear. kid might be learning something. <laughs> tear just rolled, rolled down my cheek. <laughs> Um, you couldn't be more right. And we're in the month of Elul. And we sound the shofar every morning except for Shabbat. And we don't just sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah and at the end of Yom Kippur, but we sound the shofar 
every morning. And as Maimonides says, you know, the sound of the shofar is like the alarm clock of the Jewish people. It's saying, wake up. The year's coming to an end. Take time seriously. Think about what you're doing, where you're going. Begin by acknowledging the relationships with people around you, where you have fallen short, and what we need to do to envision a better world and a better future for ourselves, our families, and our communities, and yes, you know, our country and the world itself. Yeah, and I love the alarm clock metaphor. It makes me think of uh, Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing, which begins with the words, wake up. And it makes me think of people these days like to attack the word woke, but I think we all need to be awake. We need to remain awake. We need to be alert to the changes going on around us. We need to be awake to our weaknesses, our flaws, awake to change and recognize it. You know, um, I don't like the politicization of the word because I think being awake is always, almost always a good thing. Being aware and understanding your responsibilities for sure. That's a hundred percent true. And I don't want to, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole uh, <laughs> okay. with you right now, but I think I think you're 100% right that being awake in our society means that we are not living, in, and I think this is so true in this post-COVID age of ours, that we're not living in our own little bubble, that we share the world with other people. So part of being awake is being aware that there are other people living here who might not share your views. And... Rather than ignoring them or belittling them or castigating them, what do Jews do at this time of year? At the, when the chauffeur calls, we come together. We sit in the same room. Right? Where else does that ever yeah. happen? Where you cross all the socioeconomic lines, you cross religious lines of people, knowledge lines. Every possible combination of the Jewish community is sitting in that building. And that's a very powerful idea. So what do we do when the call, the call comes, not just to look within, but to look without? And it's also reminding you that time's a wasted, right? You can't wait forever. Yeah, that's right. Maybe somebody on, on Noah's Ark should have been looking out for those dinosaurs that, that missed the boat, should have given them a shout out. <laughs> you know, an alarm. Oh, right. They should have set an alarm for them. There you go. I, I sort of like that idea. But I think more, more pertinently, there's not much we can do about the dinosaurs, but there's something we can do for ourselves. And just uh, for you to consider, this year, we don't sound the shofar on Shabbat because Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat. So this year, we will not be sounding the shofar. And so it's a really interesting opportunity to think about what's missing. How should we be inclining our ear when the chauffeur is not sounding, what are we listening for? What voice are we listening for? It's a really important idea that I think, especially now when there's so many alarm bells going off, for us to think about the fact that the train pulls out of the station at some point and there's a point where you can't fix it, where you can't get it back. And procrastination for reflection is a good thing but there is no substitute for action. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.